0: well, hey, you were stuck with me today. Let me explain how that happened. Pastor Doug's on vacation. He's in Texas uh, with family. He had planned that. Obi was to preach today, and he is sick. He is not feeling well. And so um, it's me and you, and I'm happy that it's me and you for a lot of reasons. Um, I want to just challenge you today as we think about the Christian life uh, and what the Christian life means in terms of kind of where do we begin from. Um, We often talk about you know, God being the one that um, was the, you know, he was the starter, he created things, he made us, um, and that is so very true. He is not just the the beginner of life, he's our source of living day by day by day in such a way that often when we think of Christianity, we think, okay, that now that I, if you've come to know Jesus as your Savior, you've repented of your sins, you've asked him to come into your life, what do I do next? You know, what? I, okay, what do I do? Well, I'm supposed to read my Bible, okay, good, check, read my Bible. I'm supposed to, you know, uh, go to Sunday school and be in life group, check, done that, okay? I'm supposed to give offering, check, I've done that. I'm supposed to uh, tell others about Jesus, okay, I got some people I want to talk, check, I've done that. Okay, I've done everything I need to do to be a Christian. And we got the, we've got a checklist, but that checklist has to have, I believe, a very important foundation underneath all of it. And that foundation is this, we were created by an incredible God A God who loves us, a God who made us, and a God who, when he made us, he made us in his image. He gave us capacities uh, not given to other forms of life. You know, as much as evolutionists would like to say it, I didn't come from a monkey, neither did you. And we may have some similarities, but I didn't come from them. I, I don't have, a monkey doesn't have a soul like God gave me a soul. A monkey doesn't need salvation, nor does a fish or a rock. But you and I need Jesus. We're different. God created us as unique and different. He made us. He made us to know Him. He made us to love Him. And He made us to obey Him in all things. He didn't attach strings to our arms and legs so that He could pull us about like puppets and make us do what we want or or a ring in our nose where He could lead us around and make us do what He wants to do at His bidding. No, what He did was He gave us a free choice to make good or bad decisions. And we are free to worship, him or we're free to reject him his desire though is for us to bring him glory and honor and enjoy fellowship with him and more than just studying the bible more than just witnessing more than just serving or teaching a class or doing these things what god says first what i want from you is i want your love your devotion and i want your glory i want you to glorify me So even as a church, we say that our goal is to glorify God. First, the underlying principle of our lives is to glorify God. The other things we choose to do, we can ask the question, does this glorify God to read the Bible? Of course it does. Does it glorify God to go to a life group? Of course it does. Does it glorify God to, to witness others? Obviously it. Does it glorify God to love other people when maybe they're not so easy? Of course it is glorifies Him. But the first thing to do that we need to do is decide, will I glorify him? Here's why. Because I can, I can go to a Bible study class and not have love in my heart for a, a brother or a sister and, and God only go, be able to go so far. It doesn't glorify him when I do that. I can, I can come to worship and, and, and sit in a pew. Uh, you know, as, as, a, as a young kid, I came because mom and dad made me and grandma gave out juicy fruit gum. You know, I mean, that's why we did it. I sat in the very back row. My grandpa was a pastor at a little church, and grandma had our stick of gum on the pew for us when we came in from Sunday school. We sat there, we endured everything. Grandpa's preaching. I could not, I don't think I could tell you a sermon he ever preached in my 14 years in that church, because I just went through the motions. I did that honor and glorify God. Well, as an 8-year-old, I'm not sure that the same kind of honor and glory is the same as a, as a 48-year-old or a 58-year-old, but the truth is uh, we can do that, guys. We can go through the motions. We can go to worship and not honor God. We can just sit here and say, okay, well, this isn't going to get over with. I mean, this guy ain't even the first guy. He's not even the second guy. We got the B team here. What's the deal? You know, um, th- the truth is we can do all things. We can witness to people, and our only goal in mind is let me witness to this guy. Let me get him signed up on the gospel plan And it's not because I care about him or her. It's just because I need to do this. God says, no. What you do, you need to do because you want to glorify me. When you read the Bible, do you read it for a sense of bringing honor to me? When you read it, do you you read it with open eyes that say, all right, God, as I read this, search my heart. Psalm 129 says, see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way you'd have me go, that glorifies God. Will you seek with your life to glorify God? So it's important that we understand that glorifying God needs to be the, under-arching, uh, the, the the undercurrent reason for all that we do as Christians. The Bible, in two different verses, Old Testament and New, says these things. In Isaiah chapter 43, God says this, "'Bring my sons and daughters from the ends of the earth, "'everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory.'" 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Do it all for the glory of God. Paul was talking to the church at Corinth here. They'd strayed from their original goals. They were, they were actually had a, a lot of different problems going on there. They were eating food that was sacrificed to idols. They were sitting, still kind of sitting at one feast or another you know, one of the, the struggles that James and Shania will tell you they have in Uganda is people um, will, when they do medical clinics, they'll do a medical clinic on an island, and they'll while they're waiting to see a doctor who some have never seen before in their life, but while they're waiting to see the doctor um, who may diagnose something or give them medicines or give them vitamins, um, they, the, the children are often with workers that are doing children's games and things and doing Bible stories. The adults may hear preaching, they may see the Jesus video in their language, but they, as they wait to do all that, they, they hear all that. And then there'll be a times where James has a time to share the gospel with them. And people will, will decide, I want this Jesus. If you're willing to share his love through this medicine that you brought us, if you're willing to show that kind of kindness, I want to know more about this Jesus. But what they have to do is they have to help these people understand that once they accept this Jesus, they need to get rid of the, of the 17 other gods they have back in their hut. Because they, they want to put Jesus on the shelf with all the rest of them. And you can't do that. God says, I am God and God alone. I am the only one that deserves your glory. And so if we're going to glorify God, He's got to be the only one. He's got to be the one that is, is, is the, has first place, not even ourselves, but He's in first. He's in first. I am second. I've got to make him first if we want that kind of God. And so the Bible, when it talks about God's glory, Old Testament and New Testament, it uses these words. Um, the Greek word uh, for glory is the word uh, kavod. And I am neither a uh, Greek. That's a Hebrew word. A matter of fact, that just proves I'm not a Hebrew scholar, nor do I play one on TV. Um, this the, the the word kavod is the word that means the, the essence of who God is. It means his importance, his weight, his substance, or literally his heaviness. It it kind of implies glory, respect, honor, majesty of God. When God talked to Moses and said, okay, I'm going to show you myself, but you're not going to see me. You're just going to see the backside of uh, of my robe when I pass through. Look through the crack on the rock, and when you see the backside of my robe, you'll see me. You will see my presence. He uses this word kavod. Kavod. You will see my weight, my majesty, my heaviness. You won't even see my face. It'll be that way. And so that's the word that used over and over in the Old Testament is that word. The importance and majesty of God. The New Testament word for, for glory is the word doxa. It's the word we use when we talk about the doxology. And sometimes in church we would sing a song called the doxology. And uh, it's, it's a word that means to praise God. Uh, that phrase you know praise god from whom all blessings flow praise him all creatures here below that doxology is a praise of god uh, just extolling his glory and his majesty and his splendor over and over again in scripture old testament new we're told to glorify god he wants us to glorify him And so the question, it almost begs that question, why do we glorify God? Is God just selfish, and and so he's going to make us do this? Well, we already said we're not puppets. He doesn't make us do anything. He, He desires that we choose to do it. But we glorify him because we were created to glorify him. Isaiah 43 said that. For all those who bear my name and who are created for my glory, we're created to glorify him. It's what we were made to do, created for his own glory that's why we're made i need some help with some with some grade schoolers in here if you're in grade school i know you don't go back to school till tuesday i guess stand up because i need your help i need you to answer some questions so that we can see with the adults how smart you guys are okay all right any where, where are they at let me see grade schoolers hold your hands up so i can see okay i see the yates boys over here who else all right answer these questions for me all right What do do fish do? Swim. Swim. Good answer. What do birds do? When you go to the zoo, what do the cheetahs do? What does the sun do? The Bible says God made us to glorify him. What are we supposed to do? Glorify God. Fish do what? Birds do what? The sun does What? cheetahs do what? And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to glorify God. That's what we're made to do. Now, if a great schooler knows that, how about the rest of you? Say it with me. I was made to glorify God. One more time. I was made to glorify God. I was made to glorify God. That's what we're made to do. He created us to bring Him honor and glory. As we live out our lives as Christians, we're to do that. Whether it's in school, whether it's at work, whether it's in our neighborhoods, whether it's at the grocery store, wherever we are, a doctor's office, we were made to glorify God. They, are, they, they see Jesus in us as we give God the glory that's due Him. We were created to glorify God. If we're not glorifying God, then we're not living out our purpose that he created us for. Next, we are commanded to praise God over and over again, and we can rehearse all kinds of psalms. Psalm 150 is one of them. It begins in verse 1, Hallelujah, praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him as his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and dance. Praise him with the strings and flute, praise him with resounding cymbals and clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We were created and we are commanded to praise God. And when we do that, when we praise God, it does a couple of things. It it, it recognizes the position and place that He has in our life. You see, God, God wants to be our first love. He wants to be number one authority in our life. And, and, and that's where he should be. God should be my first love. And then Joni and my kids and grandkids. That's, that's, how, that's the priority he's to have. He is first place. He, we give him authority when we glorify him. We recognize that he's in control and not me. We recognize that he's the source of joy and happiness and life and purpose in our existence and not things and p- other people. We give him the authority that he's due in an incredible way. I want to show you a picture that we took this summer. If I'm preaching, I get to show pictures, right? Um, A picture that we took this summer. Um, That's our bunch. Plus one who was born in October, Ellis. Uh, But that's our little group um, there. Uh, These kids think I am the smartest, most wonderful guy in the world. They think Joni is the best Mimi in the whole wide world. They just think she's the greatest thing since sliced bread. We had Cousin Camp this year, had a blast. Um, every one of these kiddos is an incredible delight. The one I'm holding, Maggie, is the one I'm holding there with those curls. She can look at you and just break you into tears. Uh, she is something else. Uh, and she is a terror as well. Uh, Jace in front of her is something else. He is, he is Mr. Tough and Tender all at the same time. Uh, he's a character. He, he got an electric motorcycle for Christmas. It's electric because the last one he had, his little Yamaha that was gas-powered, he rode into a lake and didn't know he was riding it into a lake off a hill and poof, down the water. And So I said to him at Christmas time, hey, I told your dad to get you a mask and a snorkel so that when you ride this one, you'll be able to come up from underwater. He looked at me and he said... Papa, that hurts my feelings. <laughs> he needs is, is something else. Every one of, I can tell you about every one of these kids. I can tell you about what they're like, what they're dislike, what I love about each one of them. You know what? That's what God knows about you. He's got a picture of you in heaven, and he knows what you'll do for him or not. When one of these little ones comes up to me and says, "Papa, would you pray with me before I take my nap? Or would you do trust Jesus with me? It's a little thing we do. They believe it or not, they all took naps during cousin camp. I don't know how we managed that, but um, Johnny has already decided that we're getting rid of the twin beds in our room. I said, no, what are we going to do? She said, now we're getting twin bunk beds. I said, oh, gosh. Um, we, this bunch, just um, one of the little ones in the front recently said to me, Papa, can I read you a book? Are you kidding? Crawl up on my lap right now, and I will soak it up. You see, when we praise God, when we give him glory and honor, it's like one of these little ones coming to crawl up on your lap and say, could I just spend time with you? God God loves it when we glorify him, when we recognize that he's first place in our life, when we give him honor and and, and the authority that he's due. God just says, these are my children. These These are the ones I died for. These are the ones I gave my life for. And so when we glorify God, we give him not only that rightful place, but it it, it helps him know that we have put him in in proper priority in our own lives. He loves our praise. He loves our glory as much as this grandpa loves each one of those little kiddos to spend time with him or do anything. God loves it when he hears from us. I love you, Father. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for being there for me. Hes a God worth loving isaiah forty three goes into details that talks about god 's love and let me just hit some highlights of this in terms of how god what God does because um, Isaiah 43 is, is Isaiah speaking to the children of Israel and about their need for restoration. They've been in captivity 70 years. He wants to see them restored, but he wants them to recognize the reason you're in captivity is because you left me. You wandered away from me. It's like Adam in the Garden of Eden. You know, we had things good in the garden, but we messed it up. And we can blame Adam, but I got to tell you, there are many days when Skip Lininger still messes things up. And I don't want to follow God and do it his way. The children of Israel didn't want to follow God and do it his way. And they found themselves carried off into captivity. But God so loves us. Even when we're at our worst, even when we're in a place we don't want to be, we didn't think we'd ever get to, but we got there and we wondered, oh, my, how did I get here? And we cried to God. God says, I hear you. And he said to the children of Israel, I hear you, carried away into captivity. And here's what I'll do. Isaiah speaks for the Lord. And he said, now, this is what the Lord says. The one who created you, Jacob, The one who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. This is what God says about us. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. Obviously referring to Moses and and those as they pass through the waters. And the rivers will not overwhelm you. They did Pharaoh, but not the children of Israel. When you walk through the fire... You will not be scorched, and the flame will not burn you. 2020 was kind of a year of fire in a lot of different ways. And some of you have been through different fires and trials in your life that I don't know. You've been through struggles and heartaches. God says, hey, hang on. Hang on. You'll walk even through the fire, and the flames will not burn you. You will not be scorched. Why? For I am the God, the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. I am also your Savior. Verse 4, because you're precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. I'll give people in exchange for you. I'll give nations away instead of your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east, and I'll gather you from the west. And I'll say to the north, give them up. And I'll say to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons and daughters from far away in captivity. My daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who bears my name and is created for my glory. I've formed them. Indeed, I have made them. Verse 10 says, you are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration My servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no Savior. I alone declared, I saved, and I proclaimed, and not some foreign God among you. So you're my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration, and and I am God. Also from today on, I am he alone. And none can rescue or snatch you from my power. I act who can reverse it. Now that's a God worth glorifying. That's a God who says, I love you, I know you, I care about you, and I will snatch you back even when you run away, when you turn to me and cry out to me. That's a God who says, I'm just not asking for your obedience and your faithfulness and for you to honor and glorify me because I'm selfish. It's because I've earned it. I've earned it, and I love you. And my desire in you giving me glory is to walk with you and talk with you daily in incredible ways. And so as we ask the question of, of how should we glorify God, what are ways that we can glorify God even in our own life? It, the, the truth is there are some ways really we can do that in, in everyday life. One of the first ways is that I glorify God when, when I repent of my sin and I seek forgiveness. I glorify God when I, I, I voice praise for who he is. I glorify God when I spend time with him in prayer. I glorify God when I, I thank him for what he's done in my life. You know, praising him for who he is is the, is the quality of him being a God who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing, who's ever-present, who's the forgiver, who's, the, who's father. You know, we, we can call out names of God for who he is. That's But thanking him for what he's done is very different. He deserves our praise for who he is. But he also deserves our praise and thanks for what he's done in our lives. We praise and we glorify God when we study and meditate on the truths of scripture. We glorify God when I pray and ask for his direction that would take me where I need to go in life. Whether again, it's at a school, in a job, With my future, with a spouse, I glorify God when I obey and I follow His will for my life, and I glorify God when I shine out His love and forgiveness with others. God wants to be glorified in our lives, but Satan would love to keep you from that. Satan has two tactics that he would keep you from glorifying God. You see, the devil wants to do everything he can to keep you from ever knowing, from keeping this world from ever knowing there's a God who forgives and a God who, who restores, and a God who loves. He loved to blind the eyes of the world so that they would never hear that there's a God that cares about them, and there's a God that will offer them peace, and purpose, and direction. And so he does everything he can to keep people from the doors of this church. That's why it's so important that when you leave these doors, you be Jesus in the marketplace. You be Jesus in your neighborhood. You be Jesus back at school, whether it's a college or a high school or a grade school wherever you go, you be Jesus in the world we live in, because some may never walk through those doors of this building, but you be him there. Satan would love to keep them in the dark. He doesn't want them to come to know the forgiveness in Christ. He doesn't want them to know the victory that we can have in Jesus that we sang about earlier today. He wants us to be kept blinded and ignorant of the truth of the gospel and the love of the gospel. But then once Once he he can do that, he also wants to do a couple things. As as Christians, once we come to know Jesus, I think he's got two tactics that he uses to keep us from glorifying God. The first tactic is pain. He causes difficulty in our life. He causes things to be hard for us. He he, he, he uses things like illness and sickness and, and cancer and disease and problems and accidents and financial hardships to say, see there? If God's a gods of love, if God really loves you, why do you do that? If God really cared about you, you wouldn't, and you can fill in the blank. And Yet what God wants to do is he wants to take those circumstances in a fallen world where there is disease and hardship and wrong, a world that we helped create in so many ways when we rejected him, God wants to use those circumstances to draw us back to him when we recognize that because of this hardship or because of this illness or because of this sickness or this place I find myself in life that I have no other place to turn but to look up to him and say, God, help me. God, there is no other beside you. There's no one who's formed me or knows me or has made me. God, it's in you I trust. God said, that's exactly where I want you to look. Look up. Satan would love to use pain to keep you from glorifying God. The other thing he'd love to use is pleasure. You know, it's kind of that you deserve a break today idea. Or, you know what, if it, if it feels this good, it must be right. All the stuff that romance songs are made of, you know, feels this good, it must be right. The truth is, God, God says there are some things that we need to do uh, in life to, to honor Him that may, be, may feel good to us, but it's not right to Him. And Satan has a way of saying, you know, God God's just a killjoy. God doesn't want you to have any fun God doesn't want you to enjoy life, all the fun stuff he took out. Matter of fact, if you're a Christian, you can't do this, and you can't do this, and you can't do this. What's the point of that? Satan would love to take and make you think, God's holding out on you. There's incredible pleasures, there's incredible joys to be had, things to be done, things to be tried. and God just doesn't want you to have fun. The truth is, God knows what's best for me and what's best for you. God knows that some of those things he may want us to have, but he'll have them in his time and in his way. But Satan will try to convince you, God's just a big killjoy. God says, no, I want you to have everlasting joy. I want you to have peace that, that surpasses all understanding of anything that makes sense. I want you to know happiness and true meaning of life. Even when life gets tough, I will be here for you. I will be your joy. I will be your pleasure. God when we honor him, gives us incredible joy, incredible pleasure, and it can be wonderfully fun to be a Christian when we follow him. Don't let Satan, don't let Satan rob you of glorifying God. One of the last ways we can glorify God is to shine out his love and forgiveness to others. So I want to ask for your participation here. I didn't bring mine with me, but would you take out your cell phone, your mobile phone, for just a minute? Let me ask the guys if they would to dim the lights. All the way down. Would you turn the light on your phone on, your phone light? Just shine it up this way. Well, if you could see what I can see from here, it's pretty amazing. All those lights that can light this room. God says this, I want you to take that part of your life that will glorify me, and this week let it shine to other people. I want you to take your life and may it shine his image, his glory, his honor to a dark school, to people who need Jesus, to a dark neighborhood, to family members who need to see the love and light of life that comes in him. Friends, we, we live in a dark world. The answer to that dark world is to shine out the love and the gospel of Jesus Christ, to glorify him in such a way that we shine for him and say, God, it's to your honor and your praise and your glory that I'll live my life for you, and I want to shine out for you. If you would do this this week, shine for him, this will be a better world. You'll be in a better school. Your job will be a better place. Your home, your family... Your community will be better because of you. Because God wants you to glorify him at your school, at your work. If you're a businessman, you're the best businessman for the Lord you can be. doesn't mean you give away money. It means you make a profit. But it means you make a fair one. If you're working at a job, it means you're the best employee you can be. You're the best student you can be. Because you're doing that not for the school, not for the grades, but you're doing it for the honor and glory of God. Will you shine for him this week? Will you shine for him this year? as we live in a brand-new opportunity of 2021. That's the question I have for you. Let's pray. Father, help us shine for you. God, help us be faithful to give your honor and glory, to give you the glory that you're due, to recognize you deserve first place in my life, and that before I do anything, I need to say, stop and just say, God, today it's you I want to please. God, it's you that as I study in in your word, I want you to reveal things to me I need to do. I want you to reveal things to me I need to change. God, it's for you I want to live this week. And so reflect Jesus to those around me that my world is a place where they see him and they can come to know him and know his forgiveness and know the light of life that he brings. May we shine out your glory for you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.